Greetings in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. It's good to see all of you. Appreciated the um, things that we've been hearing. A lot, uh, a lot of emphasis on Thanksgiving. And uh, I know that we desire to be thankful year round, but it's good to have a time to actually remind us to be thankful. As human beings, we tend to forget and need to be reminded, and I guess that's why we're here Sunday after Sunday, eh? to be reminded. <clears throat> so thank God. All right, for the message this morning, you can turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. I'll give you the title, though it probably won't make a lot of sense to you until we're part way through the message. But uh, I'll give it to you at the beginning anyhow. Title is The Door is Open. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to, we should be able to. Get to verse uh, 16, I think. Yeah, verse 16. <clears throat> so, um, some of this I'm not going to spend a lot of time on because it is actually a bit of review of things that we did talk about already as we uh, look at this uh, scripture. Maybe we can begin by reading the first six verses in, of Ephesians 3. For this cause I, Paul the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Maybe we could bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father, again, we come to you in this moment of time and ask again that you would be gracious to us, you would bless us, you would uh, visit us here this morning as you have already, and continue to allow your word to fall upon our hearts as rain, nourishing us, strengthening us, building our faith, as the scripture teaches us that faith cometh by hearing and and hearing by the word of God. That is our prayer today, that in all of us here, that faith could continue to develop in our hearts toward you. We believe that faith always has room to grow. And uh, we are looking to you this morning again, Father, that your Spirit would accomplish its work, its continued work in our lives. Thank you. Thank you for your Spirit, the promise of your Spirit that you have sent in this our day, Lord. Thank you for your word that we have so freely among us. 
pray that it could be a sharp sword piercing and dividing between the bone and the marrow, Lord, and is, is a, and be a, a discerner of our thoughts in the very intents of our hearts. Lord, again this morning, we commit this moment, this time, to you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. As we read here and as we notice in these first six verses, Paul reaffirms kind of his, uh, his ministry, his calling. Uh, God had a, specifically called Paul to uh, bring the, the message uh, to the Gentiles. And, and um, yeah, Paul, uh, we, he mentions this different times through the book, and we probably referred to some of these verses before as we talked about that. That the, as it says there in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, and I thought to spend a few minutes on these verses, on on verse 6, on these uh, words that we have here, and I think it's uh, safe to say that in uh, in this stage of things, uh, the contrast was, um, or the comparison was still a lot between the Jew and the Gentile. We don't think about it so much that way anymore as it would have been at that time. You know, today we think more in terms of believer and unbeliever. Jew and Gentile really doesn't make any difference. But at that point, when, uh, you know, when the gospel first came to the Gentile, that was a significant point. And the, the, you know, the, the Jew were God's people. The Jew were the one who God was working with. The Jew, Jesus came to the Jews, makes that clear, uh, when he, when he came in his ministry. Uh, he didn't even pay a lot of attention to the Gentiles himself, though he did minister to a few. That was only to come a little bit later. And after the Jews did what they did and rejected the Christ and crucified him, and then he rose again, and then obviously they again had first opportunity to respond to the gospel, but it wasn't long until the gospel went to the Gentile. And that's what we have here, where uh, Paul was then specifically called of the Lord as an apostle to the Gentiles, the servant who would take the message to the Gentiles, and obviously God had found himself a fitted servant because Paul did a wonder of it. He uh, he covered the Gentile world, got out, crawled out of rock heaps, and went to the next town and preached. You know, he just he was an unstoppable fella. Sometimes I wish I had a little bit of Paul in me. But uh, praise God. Praise God that there was a Paul available when God needed him or God raised him up. I don't know. you know. But anyhow, here we are. And uh, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Uh, the the uh, fellow, uh, when we look at that word, fellow heirs, Fellow simply means together with, and, and like I said, in context, it would have been with the Jew. You know, now they're all coming together in God. Uh, all they're 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 ne- they're no longer outsiders. They're no longer, uh, you know, going to be viewed as as uh, as uh, rejects. They're accepted. They're fellow heirs. They become a partaker with, and uh, that was a blessed message in that day. <clears throat> Heirs, uh, fellow heirs, and, and of course, heirs of what? 
you know, an heir, we're, 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 we're receiving something. Something is, some benefits or something is coming our way. And of course, you know, in just few words, basically, we're fellow heirs of God. And uh, I believe there's even a scripture that says that. Is that in, uh, yeah, that's Romans 8. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Uh, you know, we're uh, joint heirs with Christ. You know, in a sense, uh, everything that heaven, that God and heaven and eternity exists or has or has to offer, we become heirs of it. And the Gentile has become an heir of it in, by faith in, in, in Christ. Um, Galatians 3, that's just a few pages over. The scripture, verse 29, says, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Just again highlighting on that word heirs. Heirs according to the promise. Uh, fellow heirs. Heirs together with. The next, uh, back to our scripture in Ephesians, the next comment he makes is... Uh, of the same body. And we noticed that in the, in the uh, last message and in the last chapter there in verse, uh, verse 16 of chapter 2. And that, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. And, and we know the scripture uses uh, the terminologies of body a lot. You know, First uh, Corinthians it's used where the church or God's people are, are the illustration of a body is used to define us. And, uh, you know, we know what our body is. We know that our physical body has a lot of different members. And when one of those members is missing or hurting or, or uh, dysfunctional, it, it has a way of crippling us. And so that same illustration is used to describe the body of Christ that the Jew will be of the same body, you know. Uh, imagine that, you know. Uh, if you can consider again just briefly that, that contrast that was between the Jew and the Gentile, that now they're going to be of the same body. You know, maybe this hand is a Gentile and this hand is a Jew. They're all part of the same body. They're all functioning together. That's the picture that we have here of the same body. They're... There uh, and of course it's you know the body of Christ and 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 the church the the New Testament church as we as we understand it and know it in in our day uh, or throughout the last two thousand years actually <clears throat> the Gentile is partaker is is of the same body and his partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel and I thought well now what is his promise. You know, maybe we could spend a few minutes thinking about what his promise is. The, uh, if we uh, just go to chapter 1 of Ephesians verse 13, just the latter part of the verse there, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Was the Holy Spirit the promise? I think, uh, I think we're safe to say that it just might be that in uh, in Luke 24 verse 49 uh, Jesus makes this comment he says behold I send the promise of my father so what was Jesus going to send when he when he returned to heaven 
in, in again, Galatians 3, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And there's just a few verses that would refer to the Spirit as being the promise, uh, the, the uh, uh, rec- receiving the promise of the Spirit through faith. You know, and I think it's safe to say that uh, when we stop and think about the Spirit of Christ and, and its place in our lives and its significance, I think it's safe to say that that is, in essence, the promise. Because if we have the Spirit, we are His. And if we don't have the Spirit, we aren't, according to Romans. And if we, and, and all the other things that the Scripture speaks about working out in us are only a result of the Spirit within us anyhow. And it's work in us. So, the promise, uh, partakers of His promise in the Holy Ghost, partakers of His promise in Christ by the Gospel. What was it? that uh, confirmed to Peter when he went to Cornelius' house that uh, confirmed to him that God accepted the Gentiles. What was it? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit fell upon him. And it's like, well, we can't, we can't challenge that. You know, it's, it's evidence. God's bearing witness that... Uh, that uh, he's accepted accepted the Gentile, and so uh, the the Gentile is a partaker of his promise, which I believe the in essence the promise is the Holy Spirit. It obviously goes further than probably more things that we could talk about, but that's I would say that's the uh, crux of the matter. That's the the big part of the matter. That's the importance. We need the Spirit. And if we don't have the Spirit, we're none of His. <clears throat> All right, going on to verse uh, verse 7. And of course, here we have a few verses again where Paul kind of uh, reaffirms again his ministry, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. And I just wanted to mention just a little bit here, uh, you know, Paul, as I said already and have alluded to, he he was... uh, he was called specifically to the Gentiles. Uh, he did preach to some Jews, but largely his ministry was to Gentiles. Uh, Peter, on the other hand, he preached to a few Gentiles, but largely his ministry was to the Jews. Uh, and, you know, we can, we can look at that several ways. We can make a deal of it or we can ignore it. I think we do well to consider the fact that it it was a reality and probably something that we should consider at times in our own lives. Uh, you know, generally, one person is not equipped to do every task, is he? In general, you know, uh, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. We all have our uh, areas where we shine and we have our areas where we kind of are pretty dull, you know. 
Uh, we're just that way, right? Should I say with the exception of Lyndon? <laughs> we need a little dry humor here, don't we? <laughs> but anyway, back to the point. Uh, you know, and maybe we should, uh, maybe it's okay for us to consider, you know, what what is God's ministry for us? You know, what is God wanting to call us to or what does he want us to specifically focus on? You know, Peter and Paul had, uh, you know, they had two different, uh, very different ministries. They were ministering to two very different people, groups. And I'm going to say that the uh, the type of ministry that uh, uh, Peter exercised with a Jew probably would not have worked very well with a Gentile and vice versa. And so, um, those are things to consider. We can consider that personally. You know, what is God's calling for me personally? What does God want me to... Uh, what does God want me to focus on in His kingdom or in His, as His purpose for my life personally? Is it safe to say that we could even focus or think about that a little bit as a church body? You know, uh, what does God want us to, uh, what for ministries, what for, uh, yeah, what for specific ministries does He want us to focus on? What does he? What has he equipped us for that he wants us to carry out? Uh, you know, are we a Peter or are we a Paul, I guess we could say. You know, and that doesn't mean that we just focus on one, any one specific uh, ministry. And I, I certainly don't want us to do that. But I think it's uh, okay to stop and think about that a little. Uh, you know, we want to be able to, to reach out to all sorts of people. We want to be able to minister in all sorts of situations. And may I say, in a, in a body like this, those, that's actually where the body comes in at. Uh, maybe, maybe we're not quite uh, looking at it uh, correctly when we start thinking about it in terms of the body, because all these different members actually should make this body quite capable of ministering in all sorts of different situations. Really should. And uh, that would be God's heart. Um, so may God may God help us in that, and maybe it's more the application. I believe should be stronger, much stronger, on the personal level. What does God have for me personally? And if uh, if uh, if I personally am not drawn or called or sense a call to a specific area of ministry that someone else in this very same body does, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me <laughs> necessarily, or that I'm missing the uh, God's call. Maybe God has something else for me, something of a different. Uh, type of ministry. <clears throat> All right, uh, moving on. Verse 10. Actually, I'll read verse 10 to 12. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in, the, in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. The uh, this verse ten here, if you'll notice, you know we've uh, Paul has, you know he's been talking to the Gentile, he's been talking about them being a part of the body, he's been instructing them, he's been talking to them about Christ and and Christ's, uh, you know all all the what Christ means to them and 
and all those kind of things. And he comes down to it and, and, uh, and he says to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. I think there ought to be a few more commas in there to, to set the, that, those phrases apart a bit. But we have here, uh, God is uh, desiring to show His manifold wisdom to the principalities and the powers. That's the gist of the verse. God is, He, in fact, from eternity past, He, he had another dimension of uh, you know, let's let's just put ourselves back in the Old Testament for a bit and picture ourselves back there. God had another dimension in the future that He was going to use to to reveal His manifold wisdom to the principalities and the powers. And it was the coming of Christ. It was the coming of bringing of the Gentiles into the into the body. That whole event of Christ that. Uh, that God was going to use to demonstrate again His amazingness to the principalities and powers. And I don't understand all of that because we don't really see into those principalities and powers. But there's some sort of significance here that God, uh, for one thing, wanted to again display His, his uh, amazing power and, uh, and actually made a note of it in the Scripture of what He's doing or what he, what's going to be... Uh, a part of it, and as I was thinking about that verse a little bit, my mind did go to Job just for a moment. You know, there was Job, whom it seems God used to demonstrate His His uh, amazing grace and power to the devil, and uh, so God does seem to do those things along the way, probably more so than we even realize. But He's doing it through the church, His uh, New Testament body. Which, uh, again, as this verse says, according to the, or verse 11 says, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus. You know, like I said, you know, we put ourselves back in Old Testament time. God had something he had purposed and he was going to accomplish it and he accomplished it in Christ. When he brought uh, Christ into the world and, and had brought, opened up the whole, uh, door for the Gentiles to come to faith and, and all those kind of things <clears throat> that happen. And then we like to spend just a little more time in verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. And hopefully here we'll get to uh, understand why the title, the door is open. <clears throat> the word boldness here is uh, defined as... Uh, Having freedom to speak or freedom in approaching. Boldness. It means openly and frankly. And it, uh, I'm going to say it, it with a term that we might be, uh, you know, is, is relevant to our, our day. Not beating around the bush. In other words, Boldness. We don't, we come to God and we don't have to come to God beating around the bush, you know, in a roundabout way, trying to say things in this way or that way so that we can get the message across without uh, causing undue offense or whatever. But we come just be open. 
we have boldness. We can just come to God uh, without reserve, without shame. We can come boldly. Uh, of course, we have several. Uh, let's just turn to Hebrews. When we think about boldness, there's several scriptures in Hebrews that uh, would speak of that. Always appreciated those uh, encouragements that uh, we have there. First one is in four, chapter four of Hebrews. Verse 14 to 16. <clears throat> Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we could have just read verse 16, which, uh, you know, gives us that beautiful encouragement. But verse 14 and 15 give us the premises of the encouragement. Because of our high priest, Jesus, that we can come boldly to God. And that doesn't mean arrogantly, not at all. It just simply means we, can, we don't have to fear a bit. We can just come. Uh, and then we go to chapter 10 and verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We'll stop there. Again, the same context and idea. Uh, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in. And so we are blessed today with that, uh, that freedom to just come. And of course then, notice the next statement there in Ephesians. He says that, uh, and have, and act, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him, of Jesus, uh, which we read about in Hebrews there. But we have access with confidence. You know, if you have access to something, you can be a participant. You can enter. You can you have entrance to it. It's available to you. You know, if I come to your house and you are not home, I'm not just going to walk into your house. I'm not going to feel like I have access to your house. Even if the door is open, you know, unlocked, I'm not just going to go walking in because I... I'm not going to feel comfortable to do that. But let's say you are home and I come and you meet me at the door and you say, come on in. Am I going to feel comfortable to come in? Sure, I'm going to come in. I'm going to feel totally comfortable. I'm going to go in and sit down on the sofa and make myself at home. And depending whose house it is, I might even open the refrigerator, see if there's something to eat. I don't know if I've done that lately. But that's probably only a rare few that I would do that. But... Uh, see the difference. The door is open. Remember the title? The door is open. We have access with confidence. 
the door is open. God has opened the door of access to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, we can come. We don't have to be timid about it. You know, we, we don't have to stop at the door and wonder, can I come in? You know, like I would if I came to your house and, and uh, I'm not sure if there's anybody home. Versus if I came to your house and you met me at the door and you welcomed me in, the door is open. God has opened the door for us. For We have access. We are invited into His presence. <clears throat> and so, I want to again encourage us with that. Let us... Uh, Let's remember that as we relate to our Father. The door is open. He welcomes us. In fact, if you would welcome me into your house, if you, if you said, you know, I came to your door, you say, come on in, come on in. I, and I would just stand at the door and say, well, I just don't know. I just don't know if I should come in. You know, I might be in your way. I might be a bother to you. You know, I don't know. I just, I guess I'll just go home again, you know. You would be offended, wouldn't you? It would be an offense to you. Well, what about God? You know, God has opened the door for us to come. And what if we come to Him and He and, and, and we kind of falter? Well, you know, maybe He doesn't quite. I, I'm just not quite good enough for God. You know, or or uh, can God really help me? You know, or the door is open. He invites us in. <clears throat> so let's uh, let's remember that the door is open for us. All right. Let's see, we were in verse 12. Now, verse 13, Paul says, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And maybe we'll just stop there for a moment. Now, remember, uh, in the very first verse of this chapter, Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. You know, Paul had a wonderful message and the Gentiles had received it, uh, you know, some, and uh, others didn't. And, uh, you know, while there were those who received it well, there was obviously opposition. And Paul wasn't always received well, and he ended up in prison on several occasions. He, you know, he was persecuted in various ways, which we read of in the book of Acts. And here, he... Uh, he says in verse 13, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And, and then he goes on into a prayer. And, and I'd like us to see how these uh, connect a bit. He's, uh, he's been talking about, you know, he's reaffirmed to them their, their place in the kingdom. He's reaffirmed to them his call to bring the gospel to them. And now it seems like there's something that is of concern to him. And I believe it has to do with the fact that he's in prison for, you know, bringing this gospel. And they probably realize that he's in prison because he brought the gospel to them and to other Gentiles. Uh, and he says, uh, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulation, uh, which is your glory. In other words, uh, I am suffering because I brought the gospel to you. And the benefit is yours while I sit here in prison. But, he says, I don't want you to be disturbed by that. You know, they, they probably realized that, uh, and maybe, maybe it, uh, maybe it was a, 
a bit of a disturbance to their faith. You know, here was uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the apostle, the one who brought him the message, the one who, in, you know, first, in the first place, you know, led him to Christ. And now here he is stuck in prison. Now he is suffering. Maybe it was a, maybe they were being disturbed by it. Maybe they were uh, uh, having difficulty understanding why is this happening? Why is Paul in prison? He brought us this, this message of hope and peace and, and now he's suffering for it. And how does this all fit together? I don't know what they were thinking, but Paul is concerned about it. He says, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations. Uh, they seem, it seemed like there was some possibility that they were uh, uh, being almost shaken by it, by the fact that he was in prison. Uh, so he's, uh, he's praying that, uh, that they wouldn't faint. And if I could say that, uh, if I could maybe just interject what I think Paul's attitude in this verse is, I think he's saying, I'd do it all over again. I'd preach the gospel all, all over again. Don't be disturbed because I'm in prison. I'd do it all over again. You know, it's worth it. This message of, the, of, of Christ, it's, don't be disturbed by it. Uh, but then he goes on into a prayer in, uh, that he's praying for them. I believe it's a, it's a result because uh, he says in verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I believe his prayer is a result of this burden that they don't, uh, they aren't disturbed, that they aren't, uh, don't faint because of the tribulation that came upon him. <clears throat> and then he, and, the, and, the, and of course it, his prayer makes sense totally when we, when we, uh, think about it from that perspective because he, uh, he talks about, of course, about who he's praying to, bowing the knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, which kind of brings us all right into it. He's our Father as well. You know, we're all named. Uh, we all find our identity in our, in our Heavenly Father. Then verse 16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. <clears throat> so He's... Uh, in his prayer, uh, Paul desires to see them strengthened. Uh, but let's notice where he wants them strengthened. He says uh, that ye might be strengthened by his spirit in the inner man. Of course, maybe, maybe we ought to just ponder the word strengthened for just a little bit. You know, we all, we probably all have been in places and in times where we have felt the need of strength. You know, whether it was physical strength, whether it was spiritual strength, but we can appreciate strength, can't we? When there's a hard task to be done, something heavy to be lifted, uh, we can appreciate strength, right? Uh, we can, uh, you know, something's bigger than I can do and somebody else helps me and together you have strength to do it. We can appreciate strength. Strength is a good thing in its right place and used in the right way. Well, he wants, Paul's prayer is that these the Ephesian church would be strengthened. But where does he want them to be strengthened? He mentions specifically the inner man. Strengthened in the inner man. So, what is the inner man? If there's an inner man, is there an outer man? You know, I don't know if the Bible uses that term. I don't think it does. I never 
can't recall that it says outer man, but I do know that it says inner man several times, I think. Uh, that they would be strengthened in the inner man. How do these two differ? The inner man and the outer man. <clears throat> Just some questions to get your mind thinking a little bit. Maybe we could say the one is physical, the other is spiritual. Peter, and I didn't write the reference down here, but uh, Peter, uh, and I believe he's addressing the, the, the women, maybe it's First uh, Peter chapter 3, he speaks of uh, the hidden man of the heart. That they would adorn not the outward, but the, the hidden man of the heart. Something to that effect. So there we have the, uh, uh, a bit more definition to the, the inner man. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16, uh, the Corinthian writer, I believe that was Paul, testifies to this. He says, the outward man perisheth and the inward man is renewed day by day. So there we have again the contrast between the inner and the outer. So we have to come to the conclusion that uh, we have an inner man and we have an outer man. Maybe we could say the one is the visible one and the other is the invisible one. The one is the physical, the other is the spiritual. Could we say the one is temporal and the other is eternal? The inner man and the outer man. But in this case, Paul's burden was that they would be strengthened in the inner man. Strengthened in their spirit. Strengthened in their heart. Strengthened in their soul. Strengthened in their mind. Whatever we want to attribute to it. Strengthened in their will. Uh, So then how will this strength come? His burden was that they would be strengthened in the inner man. How will the strength come? It says here in this verse, by His Spirit. Remember we talked about the Spirit earlier. Um, We talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God within us. You know, if God is... If the Spirit of God within us is God Himself in us, then that's a lot of power, isn't it? Strengthened in the inner man. The, uh, so, Paul was praying for them, and I, I you know, that, that makes total sense, or it makes it, you know, it adds up when you think about them being in a place of maybe being kind of shaken by the fact that. The Apostle Paul that was in prison and perhaps there were others who were in prison for their faith and that persecution was going on. And so his prayer to, the, to God is that, that they would be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Does it use the word might here? I mean, yeah, it does. Strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Paul recognized the need for that. And, uh, and again, we can come back to, and ask ourselves, Uh, that question again, you know, do we sense that need at times in our lives? That need of strength. Is it okay to pray and ask God to to strengthen us with His Spirit in our inner man? Ah, doesn't God say the door is open? Doesn't He say, come on in, you know? Should we be ashamed to ask God for strength in our inner man? Should we, you know... Really, we shouldn't. We should be bold. And uh, 
and, and access with faith, with confidence. I believe it's God's delight to, uh, when we come, when we come and ask, that He would grant, and, and we could go to the, to the first part of the verse again, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. You know, that He would grant you. We kind of get the idea there that God doesn't just go around handing it out, does He? It's, it's almost like God is waiting for that person who comes asking. And God says, yes, yes, I grant it to you. I grant it to you. You ask for strength in your inner man. I grant it to you. According to my, what does He say? Riches of His glory. According to the riches of His glory. You know, God... Uh, God is looking for people, I believe, to bless in this way, to strengthen in this way, to, uh, to, uh, to fill us with faith and with courage that, uh, when we, when we, uh, feel our need and we sense our need and we sense our, uh, emptiness and we sense our, uh, powerlessness or, you know, the task is great, the, the challenge is strong, the, the responsibility or whatever ministry or whatever we're facing, uh, that uh, we could come to God and uh, realizing that the door is open, we can come, we can ask, we can, uh, we can uh, and ask in faith, believing that God will in fact do what He says He will do, that He would strengthen us with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that we would be filled with faith and with courage and that we wouldn't faint. Just like uh, Paul says to the believers there in verse 13, that they would not faint. That we would not faint, but that we would be strengthened and we would be uh, encouraged. So I would like to conclude with the thought again that the door is open. We have access uh, that illustration, you know, God has opened the door. He's uh, waiting to welcome us, us into uh, the spiritual blessings that uh, He has prepared for those that love Him. And uh, that includes all of us here today. We can all be a participant, a partaker, if we will, if we will uh, come on His terms and receive the grace that is available through Jesus Christ. So the door is open for all of us. If we'll come. Shall we? Maybe we could kneel. Those who are able, kneel together and pray. Yes, Father, thank you. Thank you that... The door is open. We are invited to come into your presence through the blood of Jesus. Thank you again this morning for this assembly and each one present. And today, God, you know each heart. You know each uh, where each one of us are in our journey. And today we're asking again that the Holy Spirit would minister grace and strength and courage and help. And faith, Lord, in whatever capacities we stand in need of. Father, thank you for your faithfulness in the past and Lord, again, strengthen us for the future. Lord, grant us uh, to ever uh, 
grow nearer to you and to uh, to be able to live our lives here in in a in a manner that is honoring, glorifying and pleasing to you. So Father, again we just uh, commit these few words of encouragement into your care, trusting that your spirit will uh, use them in all of our hearts together to build us up and to uh, lead us on in our in our journey. Father, thank you. Keep us in your care, Father, we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Thank <clears throat> you.